0: My guest in this episode is journalist Tony Connolly. Since graduating from university, Tony has worked with the Drum Magazine, writing on modern marketing and the media. And for the past two years, he has been with the Celtic View, the official weekly magazine of Celtic Football Club. So as well as being my guest on the Read All About It podcast, Tony is also my colleague at Celtic. And over and above, his work as a journalist, Tony is also an athlete par excellence, regularly taking part in marathons and half-marathons, he puts the rest of the Celtic View team to shame. Tony, thanks for joining us on the Read All About It podcast. Thanks for having me. So obviously, the, you know, when I've been asking people to come on the podcast and obviously that that love of books, that love of reading, and, and over the time you've been here, there's always there's always a lot of book chat going on, and as you probably expect for people who, who write for a living as well. But your, your reading habits, I know, are kind of varied between fiction and, and not fiction. Do you have a preference or is it just...
1: If something catches your attention, that's what you want to read? I think it's probably just in recent years I've been more into to non-fiction, like regularly into it. I think um, probably about five, ten years ago, I can't remember when it was, that it was the first non-fiction book I read and I think it was uh, Rudy Vibra, I think his name was, How I Escaped from Auschwitz, but that was a rarity, it was mainly just novels. And then, yeah, I think the last couple of years it's been a lot more non-fiction. I'm not sure why. Maybe that stems from watching more documentaries and just wanting to learn things, or maybe that stems from living with a fiance who's vastly more intelligent than me and a need <laughs> to kind of try and keep up. But it's just... I, I find them just as gripping as a good novel, if as, as long as they're, they're well-written. It does Sometimes it feels the same as reading a novel because you're that drawn into it and thinking about it.
0: And did you... Did you want to put that line in about your fiancé, or, or be under instructions so that when when uh, when she listens to it, she'll say, "Right, that's okay, right"? You passed.
1: I've come to the stage now where I just have to readily admit defeat in that sense. Yeah, Erin is quite humble, but I know my place.
0: Yeah. Well, that's well, that's always the basis for, for the start of a good marriage. Isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> now, the, the format of the read all about the podcast follows the same same format every week and every episode. I just ask. Each of the guests, the same five questions. And the first question for you would be your favourite book from childhood.
1: I think the the first one that springs to mind, I don't know if this would have been the first one I read, possibly, but the I think the one I'm going to go for would be Roald Dahl's George's Marvelous Medicine. I think I was probably around eight, maybe, when I, I read that. Um, I've read quite a few Roald Dahl books, my dad got me into them reading the, the Twits, uh, the Fantastic Mr Fox, BFG but there's something about George's marvellous medicine that was just like peak Dahl for, for me it was like that mischievous nature that, um, that he, he has with what his characters are, are doing as well and just you know this young boy living with his, his gran and his mum and just putting together all these concoctions I think that was something I would always do when I went round to my cousin's house Chris we would go around and then we would like sneak away and then start doing things like that in the kitchen and like sort of just playing pranks and things like that so it always uh, appealed to me and he just the way that he also captured how kids sort of perceive thing that perceive things like that unfiltered honesty that they have uh, as well as something that I think you can appreciate in as an adult as well because I've gone on to read some of his short stories as well for adults but, yeah, George's Marvelous Medicine, I just I just loved it. The images that you would sort of conjure up in your head while reading it were just so vivid, and you think back on it, and you wonder, was, that, was I watching a film, or was that just things that I pictured so clearly in my mind with the way that he wrote
0: it? Because I wonder if, if the book was to get published now, they'd have to put a wee disclaimer, disclaimer to say to children, please don't try this at home. <laughs> because, as you say, the first thing you want to do when you get together with your cousins is... Read the, the the kitchen cobbles and start the an experiment.
1: Yeah, yeah, it was. Um, it just it, it speaks to you so much as as a kid for him to write that as an adult and have those thoughts that you have as a, as a kid as well, and just the way that George looks at his gran as well. You know, he's kind of as he's making it up. I think I remember. him thinking like. I'm sure he's thinking this might kill her, and the way he's just sort of thinking is, um, oh, I could do without sort of having a body on my my hands. So it's it can be a bit sort of morbid and cold in a funny way, as well, and just the way as well that he looks at old people in it, you know, like as much as growing up, you love your your gran and your, and your papa and stuff like that. Like he does capture how you know as a kid again that sort of unfilled honesty you're kind of like a bit wrinkly and smelly and you might not want to hold your grand's hand or something as much as you love being around and, and love her and he just he, he gets that down on paper so well
0: what I always find interesting and you know most people growing up I think would have read Roald Dahl and you, you keep talking about this the kind of authenticity and the honesty he captures in children and that's probably the reason why I'm successful because I remember it was an interview I think with David Williams who kind of taken on that mantle and, and Roald Dahl is his kind of literary hero and he's been really successful. But he's successful because his books are good and they appeal to children because they wouldn't necessarily know who who he is as an adult, as a, an actor, as a comedy actor. So, you know, if Roald Dahl's books, you know, as an eight or nine-year-old didn't resonate with you, you would never have read it or you would never have finished it or never read any more of his books.
1: Yeah, yeah, I know, I think so. I'm not sure if that was the first one I read. I think the first one was BFG. But, um, yeah, like you say, it just, it just captures you and it, you're just so excited and it's such a great way to to draw kids in to to read them as well and i think he, he does that thing that sort of disney pixar films do these days you know like toy story it has humor that adults can appreciate as well as humor that kids can appreciate and i think that's that's a really difficult thing to do but he he just he has that in all his books
0: and the, the thing that surprised me was it was published in 1981 I just always said this thing about rolled out books being published either in the, the 60s or early 70s because I remember reading when I was young obviously I'm, I'm now aging myself because I, I, I was about 15 when that book came out that surprised me to me that's still relatively recent
1: yeah they're timeless in that way aren't they and I think they're also timeless in the way that like maybe a lot of some of the old Disney films have that the endings can be a bit sort of dark you know, like George shrinks his grand to nothing, and that's her. She's gone, and then you know, after a couple of minutes or an afternoon, I think him and his mum were just sort of like, "Oh well, it's not so bad." You know, it's like it, it, that's that's timeless. And, well, maybe something you don't get is is often now, but it, it stands the test of time as well. That it's it's funny and it's dark, and it, it, you're not just laughing throughout it. You're you're thinking about relationships in your own life as well. So it's it's just really clever the way that he, he captures that and. Taps into the mind of adults and kids, and kind of bridges that gap.
0: What I like about this this podcast is obviously people different people have different choices, and if we go into the second question, which is your you know your favourite book from what have, what have kind of called teenage student formative years when you're starting to develop your own kind of tastes and, and all sorts of different things, and you couldn't have chosen a more different book from George's Marvelous Medicine as, as your kind of favourite book from those formative years.
1: Yeah, th- this one is a difficult one. I kept chopping and changing, but. I read a bunch of his books quite close together um, and that was Hunter S. Thompson Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas I think he's a brilliant author well for all ages maybe teenage upwards but for teenagers as well I think it, what he writes and the, the subjects that he writes and stuff like that he has that rebellious streak through him that maybe is at the forefront of your mind when you're, you're a teenager and you're at your formative years so it really kind of enthralls you a, a lot more than maybe it would if you read it later in life yeah, just, uh, I just, I remember reading that and just laughing a lot as well, and it's funny later on then realising that he actually very much was that person that he's portraying in the uh, in the book, he, you know, he's doing, it's Gonzo journalism, and it's, there's a bit of, there's a, a huge ego there that you don't get with a lot of writers, and that might put me off with some, but with him, because he was so funny and out there, and Determined and bold, it just kind of all came together really well, and it's just this mad whirlwind adventure that he, he goes on, full of drunken drugs and stuff like that. But that's maybe that kind of appeals to you as a teenager, but that's not what draws you in. It's just the way that he describes things and like the streaks of anger through through some of the, the things that he's saying as well. That you know, as a teenager, you're, you're gonna kind of have that in you as well at that point in your life.
0: Because I wonder if you have you read it subsequently again and and did it have a different impact on you or do you think it's just one of those books that was of its time for you at that period in your your life yeah
1: I've not I've not read it back since I then went on to watch the film a few years afterwards and I think I still felt the same thing And I have went on to read some of his books later on I've read um, The Rum Diary And Hell's Angels and stuff like that And again, same sort of themes coming up Same style Because it's it's still him very much throughout all of them And it it still makes you feel that way I think if I were to go back and and read it now I'd still be as drawn into it I'd still enjoy it as much Just because he's that kind of timeless figure for me because he was such a brilliant writer and a genius I'll always have that appreciation for how how he wrote and, and what he done and how he chose to sort of cover things and it's just the humour as well I don't think I don't think my humour's changed too much uh, I don't know if it does for many people as you grow older um, so I would still always appreciate as well as the quality of his writing the just the, the sense of humour that he has and uh, just the sort of streaks of like anger that he has I don't have, I'm always getting told off for having a bad temper around the, the house, so I think that's always in me as well, and it's something that I can connect with with him.
0: So I know your fiance can blame Hunter S. Thompson. <laughs> but when I, was, when I was just checking just before we did the podcast, and I, I hadn't realised that the, the subtitle of this book is called It's a Savage Journey into the Heart of the American Dream. So although probably people remember the kind of the kind anarchic side of it, and you, you mentioned the humour, but obviously there was a serious point he was... Yeah, he yeah, dream. he did.
1: He always, he always got that uh, across as well, like giving a, a commentary on on wider society and how he was very much taken in by the idea of the the American dream and stuff like that. I think it was. I remember reading some stuff about his early life, and he would write out The Great Gatsby again and again and again. Um, and I think he was a big fan of F. Scott Spitzgerald, but he was, I think he was writing that out to get his typing up and just uh, just to be in the rhythm of writing. But, you know, that's got subjects, obviously, of the the, the American dream and, and the flaws of it as well. And then he's kind of taken that and uh, applied it in a really chaotic way to, to modern life as well to show that it was sort of flawed then, but the same things still exist in this day and age and amongst all the, the chaos and the distractions that might make you think that, oh, no, it's... It's more tangible than ever now, but he's kind of trying to put across the sort of moral ambiguity around all that.
0: And what did you think of the, the film adaptation? With I,
1: I, I love the film adaptation, yeah. Johnny Depp was, did, did was he he obviously in it. the wrong Diary as well, did he? Did yeah, Johnny Depp, Depp played. Yeah, they were yeah. really close friends, I think, uh, Johnny Depp and Hunter Thompson. Right. Yeah, I think it was actually, I think I remember reading Hunter Thompson's funeral, Johnny Depp. Paid for for uh, his ashes to be shot up in a, a rocket. <laughs> I think the two of them were as mad as each other, yeah. But they were, they were close friends throughout, so he he starred in at least t- two of his, his film adaptations as well, yeah. Run was good, but I think the Fear and Loathing films, it's a cult film as well as a cult book, it was it was well done.
0: We're on now to, to question number three, and, and this is, again, it's always the one I'm interested when people choose, so this would be a book you would recommend to anyone?
1: For this one, I was thinking about some non-fiction ones, but then I had to sort of take a step back and think, no, I had to recommend this to anyone, and I went for The Book Thief, which I read about eight years ago, and I just thought it was an incredible book that I think anyone, regardless of age or, or interest, could, could pick up and, and read. So obviously the main premise of it is, or the way that the the narrative tool is, that it's narrated by Death. And while that's not necessarily unique, you know, he he wasn't... uh, Marcus... uh, Marcus Zusak, I think, yeah. Wasn't the the first to to do that. The way that he did it, I thought, was just amazing. As well as just the way that he writes is really beautiful. The way that Death sees things is, is really interesting because you could think of death as a sort of cold callous narrator but there's actually a lot of compassion in in the undertones as well and i think with death sort of taking a sort of objective view of everything that's going on it works really well cuz it it sort of shows the lack of humanity that humans can have, especially during times of, of war. So it's it's got that, but then it's also got these relationships with uh, Hans and his wife Rosa. I think uh, adopting the the young girl and then taking the, the the soldier in whose father actually saved Hans when he was a soldier in the, the war as well. And there's just there's loads of things in it. The, the soldier that's brought in Max. He uh, writes this really beautiful short story for the the young girl as well, but he actually because materials are so sparse it is it's whitewashed pages of Mein Kampf that he uses to write this this story on. It's just it's really poignant that, like to, to be where they are and for him to take something so horrible that's the sort of the foundation of a lot of what's going on at that point and then put something beautiful on it. It's it's just another small that's just a small part of the book, but it's it's just Every page that you're turning is one of those ones that for me you just lose track of time when you're reading it. Because I suppose it must be a
0: difficulty. Like I'd imagine anybody who's tackling wanting to set a novel within the Second World War, I mean, there's been so many different books set, particularly in Nazi Germany, it must be quite difficult. But then obviously, they, you know, book was a big part of, of any totalitarian regime, but obviously the Nazis in the 30s. So the very fact that, as you, you mentioned, you know, the fact that books play a role in that is obviously key to what he was trying to say. Yeah.
1: It's all about books and it's so fitting that he writes so beautifully as well. And I think for the young girl, she steals her first book at her brother's funeral. I think it's a gravedigger's book or something like that. And, you know, that's at a point in her life where it's just totally swallowed by grief. And she finds this book and Hans teaches her to read and I think that's also another thing that's really beautiful about it is you know it's trying to also highlight the the power of the books you know through compassion as well you've got this lovely old man Hans who's you know his character in the book's just amazing he's risking his life for people and he's so kind and patient and he's teaching this young girl to read and you know that's uh that's an escape for her in a time of, of war and I think it also shows how life kind of does go on for a lot of people during, during war as well and how powerful books can be and how life-changing they can be because from there she's just she, she keeps stealing books, but never more than, than what she needs. She's, she's very methodical about how she does it and really appreciates every book as well and it's, it's so important to her at a time that's really difficult in her life.
0: It's interesting, that's another one similar to Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas, which was turned into a film, and yeah. where do you stand on, this could, this could be a swift end the podcast if you answer this wrongly, <laughs> but um, where do you stand on, you know, is the book better than the film or vice versa, are, are you, are you open minded enough to take it, each one on their merits?
1: I I try and separate each one and not think about them as connected even though they are. It's strange going into a film where you've read the book. It's happened loads of times for me and I just need to try and not measure them against each other. The reason I was asking is
0: is that one of my daughters read, it was a Jodie Pico novel and she loved it. She actually loved the novel and then when they they, they did the film of it they changed the ending because they'd done these screen tests and then they changed the ending, and absolutely, she was so annoyed about it. And I always want, you know, if particularly if you get an investment in the book, Yeah. if they don't follow it faithfully, does that irritate you?
1: Yeah, yeah, I think it would. I'm, I can't think off the top of my head, but that will definitely have happened with some books that I've read would have changed uh, the films. But for me anyway, I think you, it's easier to have a stronger emotional attachment to it. A book than a film maybe that's just because you spend more time with the book you've got more time for reflection unless you sort of read it all in a one or but you you kind of think about where you were in your life at that point reading that book I, I think books are like music in that way where i'll think of a book and i can remember where i was in life at that point maybe where i was working or what i was thinking and feeling and stuff like that so i think i'll always appreciate the books more and i would never go in to a film of a book that I love, thinking I hope this lives up to it because it couldn't, it couldn't possibly for me. I just I need to kind of try and think of it as as something else, and if they do change the ending radically, then I would I would be quite annoyed. But other than that, I'll just kind of try and separate them completely as much as possible.
0: So given that, what did you think of the book, Faith?
1: Uh The film was good, but I mean it's it's got nothing on on the book for me. Yeah. But yeah, I was I can be a bit nervous sometimes going you know, into the the films, especially when you enjoy a book so much. And I remember leaving thinking, oh, that was that was good. Um, it was just I think you're kind of glad if they don't mess it up in some ways uh, as well. But no, the, the film I thought was really good as well. Especially the is it Joffrey? I can't remember the actor's name that plays hands. I thought he was perfect for the role as well. I think that's another important thing: casting in films because in your mind the the characters you've spent so much time reading and imagining, and then sometimes when you see them on screen, if right away if it's if you feel in your own head that it's cast wrong, you can't really settle into the film. It's too jarring for you. So for like Johnny Depp and Fear and Loathing, I thought that was fine. That worked well, and the same for the book feast. Uh, the actor that plays Hans was just perfect for, for that character as well.
0: I'm sure everybody who's listening is certainly thinking of uh, Tom Cruise's Jack Reacher. <laughs> <laughs> Slightly miscast, although I think the films are actually okay. We are uh, listening to Read All About It podcast uh, with me, Paul Cuddy, and my guest in this episode, Tony Connolly and we're on to book number four and this is a book that you couldn't be paid by me or anyone else to read again and I'm slightly disappointed with your choice but this is all about opinions this game
1: yeah so this book again coming back to the similarities between music and and, and books there's an emotional connection to them when you think about where you were when you read them so for me maybe this was just as well as being some of the themes maybe just reading it sort of Early 20s, you know, there's nothing major going on in my life negatively, but just bits sort of underlying, you know, discontent, unhappiness, maybe uncertainty about the future. So that might play into it. But anyway, the book choice is Revolutionary Road by Richard Yates. And I think it's, in terms of quality of, of the book, I'm, I'm not going to begin to to fault it. It's It's a classic and, you know, I can absolutely see why, it was well written but I think... So, so what age were you, because I'm interested what age you were when you read it, because I read
0: it in my 40s and right. I really enjoyed it so I wonder if that...
1: I think I was about 23, 24 yeah I was, yeah I remember I was living in my own wee flat so that would have been between 23, 26 something like that, in between there so yeah I think again it's probably down to personally how I perceive it but I just I struggled with Frank and his wife their relationship wasn't the healthiest so that was something that you know as you're reading it and obviously you can read books about you know negative subjects and completely be drawn into them and really enjoy reading them and see the quality of them but I think their relationship it wasn't enjoyable to to read and obviously you can tell Richard Yeats is trying to to show you a wider picture of how life can be in suburban America and maybe again the sort of the troubles with uh, trying to reach for that American dream and not coming quite close enough to it and also just the sort of suburban discontent you know just they they have dreams and ambitions to to go to Paris and you know you can tell that it's never going to quite amount to that and they're living in this neighbourhood where just everything's very sort of samey and that was something I really didn't like I grew up in East Kilbride which is a great wee town it's fine but see as a teenager you, like for me anyway and for a lot of other people I've to that come from there you just get a bit restless you know it's just you see all the same faces that you knew from school and okay yeah you get on with them but you kind of feel like broadening your horizons and that the thought of sort of staying in that that fishbowl is something especially when I read it in my late 20s having just so moved out to East Kilbride and got my own place in Glasgow was something that i didn't want to really reflect on yet at that point you know and that's that's something that a lot of people strive for later in life and that was completely at odds with me that was something that i didn't want i wanted to be in a a city and amongst the hustle and bustle and be away from that sort of you know suburban dream so they were striving for that the relationship was was unhealthy and just as a a character as well he's uh, frank just seemed very sort of bitter and cold towards his, his wife as well. So that I think just a few things there you know, that I didn't... I could see the quality of the writing, but I didn't really enjoy the book. And it made me think about a lot of things in life that I didn't want to sort of have connected to me, I think.
0: Because I read... Before I read that, I read he's, he's, a book of short stories called Eleven Kinds of Loneliness, which I think is better, I think, than Revolutionary Road because they're much more concise... You know, not necessarily cheery stories, but they're actually, I think they're really brilliantly written. So right. I came to that first. Right. So if you're ever looking for a. If you're ever going to tackle any more Richard Yates, I would recommend that. Yeah,
1: it's, it's not going to put me off reading more of his, and he is such a highly regarded writer that I feel that I would need to return to him, especially because I have. A sort of negative feeling towards that book, and that doesn't feel right, given that he is such a great writer. So I think I would need to, in short stories, is perfect just to sort of dip into, and then just actually see another side to to his writing as well. That would that I would enjoy more, I'm sure.
0: Because I always wonder, because I don't think he got the kind of acclaim or success when he was alive. So it must be like for a lot of writers, it must be obviously they don't know <laughs> they've going, but the frustration of maybe not being recognized when you're when you're actually doing the job.
1: I know, that's that is scary I think in in any art form but writing as well, just to to not see the, the appreciation for your work and maybe to always have those unanswered questions of, well was I good, where would I stand? You know, I think ego comes into it for everyone to an extent, whether you're gonna be like a sort of Hunter S. Thompson that's gonna be more than his books or if you want to just stay in the, the background and just have your books speak for them self, I think you always want to maybe know where you stand amongst y- your peers or, or others, so to, to go unrecognised during your lifetime it does seem quite heartbreaking. There it must it's a theme developing in your answers. It's another one that was turned into
0: a film. I think it was Leonardo DiCaprio and Kate Winsley yeah, and not, and not a, a liner in sight being sunk.
1: <laughs> yeah, that was All them. A accident, wasn't it? Yeah. I've not seen the film for that actually, but again, having not enjoyed the book, I'm not sure if I would. But both of them are great actors. I really like mostly Leonardo DiCaprio's roles as well. So uh, I heard it's a good film, but yeah, I didn't know that the two of them would. Uh, I think that's the only other time after Titanic that they would work together. But no, I haven't seen the film in this instance. And by the sounds of it, you're not <laughs> in any rush to see any. <laughs> 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 Too many on my list to get through.
0: We are on to uh, the fifth question, and that is the either the the book that, the last book you read or the book that you're you're currently reading.
1: Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm just coming to the end of it now, actually, and it's the fight by Norman Mailer. I I love boxing, so that's what drew me to. It. I know of Norman Mailer, and he, again, he's one of those American writers like a sort of a Hemingway or Hunter Thompson that is. T- very sort of famous like maybe more so than you might get some of their, their sort of British counterparts just some of the the American writers that were like huge celebrities uh, in their day as well you know Norman Mailer was like that and I think that comes across in the book as well um, you can tell that he's he's got an ego
0: so he's basically it's a kind of I suppose it's reportage, isn't it? It's like him reporting on Muhammad Ali, George Foreman, the Rumble in the Jungle. First. Yeah,
1: yeah. So he he's went out to Zaire uh, to, to to cover the fight, and he knows both fighters already. Having covered them, he is. I think it was boxing, baseball, and football. He loved uh, like writing sports, so he, 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 that comes across as well in the book. Um, it's only towards the the tail end of pro- probably only about a tenth of the book if that. Is about the the fight it's, itself. A lot of it is in the the build up to, it. and that's really interesting to see the psyche of everything. Because I was wondering, as a football
0: writer, who's, who's you know you're you constantly interviewing you know footballers and other sportsmen for you know in different sports. But because there's, there's a bit in the book, I think where he goes and he's early morning training runs with Muhammad Ali. Yeah, think it's that, that that level of access that nowadays that we could only dream of. Like, yeah. You can imagine a, a top sportsman saying to you, I like, apart from the fact you probably beat them in the running, but." <laughs> Uh, I mean it's incredible he gets that access
1: Yeah and I think he was very well liked by I think all the athletes knew of him Because he was such a celebrity I'm sure there's one part sort of early in the book Where this might actually be his first meeting with Foreman He knew Ali previously but not maybe not so much George Foreman Because I think someone asked or he asked George Foreman Or do you know who Norman Mailer is And his response is oh yeah you're the, you're the champ of writers um, and that's that's Norman Mailer that's writing that so again. It kind of he chose to put that down in paper. It kind of speaks to his, his ego again. But he was very well respected, so so that helped. And I think just with his celebrity, he obviously was was good socially you know to to rock up to Ali's villa and just sit outside and wait and go and speak to him and then go on a a run with him as well although before going on the run with Ali he's talking about the concoction of drinks that he's putting down and vodka and orange and stuff like that so he wasn't putting himself in the best position but having that access and that relationship to sports stars is That's amazing because that's always going to yield a better story. Getting close to them. Whenever you want to, whenever I interview any players, I don't want to have that sort of wall between us. You want to almost to be able to talk to them like a a regular person. That's very difficult to do because they're going to be sort of in media mode. But if you can, I'm always trying to break down those barriers and just so that they can see you as a person that's maybe interested in something they're doing at that moment.
0: Is there a, you know, anybody you've interviewed in the past or as a, as a sports, not necessarily a footballer, but a sports person that you would like to do that kind of in-depth piece which is longer than, than just an article or a book?
1: Yeah, yeah, d- definitely. Um, w- within football anyway, I've, I think maybe some of the, the older players that have since uh, retired because they'll have a, a longer story to tell and I think I've noticed with the older players once they retire that they... they Feel they can open up more You know You can comment on things more You can get a better story You can hear about things That they might not Wanted to have talked about In in their career You'll always get Athletes withholding things You know Until after a certain point Whether it be after A certain game Or a season Or until Somebody's moved on Or something like that So I remember speaking to uh, George Cadet um, And that was amazing Because I was born in 87 So I was at the, The prime young age To be really excited To see him Come to Celtic and just, you know, he was one of the players that was my hero when I was younger. So then revisiting that last year and and getting to to speak to him and see how his career unfolded. And obviously it had his downs as well, but he was just such a, a nice, likeable guy. And I could tell that once he'd moved beyond that point of playing that he was... He was ready to open up, and he was telling me loads of things about his life and what what he was doing now. And there's so much there. It's somebody's life that they're telling you about, that you, and it's all interesting. You could easily sit down and, and and pen a book about that.
0: An interesting Norman Mailer also had a reputation of dealing. Uh, quite harshly with his his critics that you know he wasn't it wasn't unknown for him to turn up in, in newspaper offices, find out who had said something harsh about his book, and <laughs> do a bit of boxing on them as well.
1: Yeah, I heard about that. Was that the New York Times review? Yeah, I know. Yeah, I, I've since kind of so this is the first Norman Mailer book that I've I've read, but just sort of before reading that, I had heard about him as being a sort of Celebrity writer, so he definitely had quite a bit of uh, an ego about him as well, and that that comes across in in, in the book as well. But as you can kind of look past that again, I don't I don't mind that, especially if the the quality of the writing is amazing which it is. There's, there's points in the book, especially about the action itself and the fight. The way that he writes about that is just so enthralling. I, I watch boxing regularly and, and to, you're going through the pages just round by round and it's just it's just flying by and it's really amazing the way that he describes the action. And There's one point in it this morning I was reading that stood out. So There's a, a line that says... If, for so long as Foreman had strength, the ropes would prove about as safe as riding a unicycle on a parapet. Still, what is genius but the balance on the edge of the impossible? And I just thought that was an amazing way to, to put down in paper just how frightening it must have been for Ali's corner to see him do this rope-a-dope up against somebody that could just knock down trees with a, a single punch. Was, the, all the action is, is brilliant. But in the lead up to that, as well, the majority of the book is just about him trying to get in the head of the, the fighters, which, as a sports writer, is something that you always really want to do. You want to kind of try and gently chip away at that armour and really see what's going on in their, their minds. And he does that brilliantly and getting the, the access and, and just kind of analysing what they're saying and, and what it might mean.
0: The other, I was just in the course of this, luckily it's just an audio podcast, so nobody can see the fact. I was just googling away there while we were talking, but in The Naked and the Dead by Norman Miller's another book that I read that was partly based on his kind of wartime experiences in the Second World War but I would if you're going to read anything else I would recommend that that's good
1: right yeah yeah I think I will actually because I have I have really enjoyed this the way he writes is, is really beautiful um, and I'm just you're flying through the book just drawn into it so I definitely need to read more of his stuff I do make a conscious effort for that when I'm reading the book to, to seek out more work by, by that author because it'd be a shame not to There's, I'll read some books that you'll you'll enjoy and then there'll be others where I want to read everything the author's done, I think you and I recently have been talking about Don Winslow and I've read a bunch of his books and I'm looking forward to, to reading more of them, you kind of build up that trust with an author that it's even maybe more so than the music, you just know whatever they're going to put out, you're, you're more than likely going to really enjoy it.
0: And you mentioned you've just about finished that, do you are you someone who knows what you're going to read next Do you have a pile of books to read Or do you just start afresh and think right, what, mood, what mood am I in to read
1: I've, I've always got three or four That I know that I'm going to get onto next Because I need to stop myself Buying books and adding to the, the bookshelf Because inevitably it'll get beyond five or six And I'll forget one of them And, and it may be like a couple of years later So I've got a few to read uh, next I think the next one I'm going to read, I'm going to go back on to fiction uh, I just got it the other day, it's uh, November Road, can't remember the author but it was recommended to me um, by my dad who he also likes Don Winslow so that's a crime thriller writer so he recommended this to me and I, I bought it the other day so I'm going to start that tomorrow and it comes really highly recommended so I'm looking forward to reading that Excellent, well listen for now
0: that's us come to the end of the Read All About Podcast but thanks very much Tony for being our guest this time Thanks
1: for having me, really enjoyed it
0: Thanks for listening to the Read All About It podcast and I'd love to hear what you thought about it. You can get in touch via Twitter at ReadAllAbout20 on Instagram at ReadAllAboutItPodcast or you can send an email to ReadAllAboutIt at paulcuddehy.com If you've enjoyed the podcast, subscribe, leave a review and spread the word. If you haven't enjoyed it, say nothing to anybody. But I do hope you can join me, Paul Cuddehy, next time on the Read All About It podcast. And in the meantime, keep reading.